Welcome back to The Winter War with me, your host, Des Latham. This is episode 6 and we're covering events at the end of December into the first week of January 1940. Just a quick situation report. The Finns were fighting to maintain control over parts of the road to Rati from Sumashami, with the Russians having now decided to send an entire new division to support the 9th Army, which had experienced some difficulty in the drive to cut Finland in half through what was known as the Waste. Planning, if you remember, to reach Ulu, the eastern harbour port on the Baltic. Captain Makinen had fought a rear guard near the lakes of Kuvujavi and Kumujavi, but the going was tough as his 350 men faced 14,000 Red Army troops. The 9th Army received new orders for the 163rd and 44th Rifle Divisions to attack simultaneously on the 22nd of December, but that was postponed to the 24th. This was to allow the 9th Army Commander Duhanov to be replaced by the highly successful Vasily Choykov. For this phase of the attack, the Soviets wanted to send in reinforcements to Sumasalmi, which they continued to hold despite Finnish attempts to drive them from this town based on the central eastern side of the waste. The Soviet Stavka had taken over direct control of the war. It was going so badly, and they wanted to send mobile forces down this road to bolster the two infantry regiments, divisional artillery and the HQ in Sumasalmi. This was going to be a challenge. The Finns had managed to cut the road along a five-kilometre section. So the Stavka deployed a new tactic to bypass this cut-off portion and outflank the Finns. Take a look at Google Earth for this area of Finland. It's not for nothing that it's called the country of 1,000 lakes, all the effects of glaciers that had retreated after the last ice age. Rati is almost directly east of Sumasalmi, and most of the lakes here were frozen by now. While they could be traversed by tanks, these clanking machines would also be easy targets out there on the open ice, particularly as the Soviets still had not painted their vehicles white. If you stand in the town of Sumasalmi and stare out directly north, you're looking across one of these quiet, vast lakes, out towards the Hulkanimi Peninsula opposite, more than a kilometre away across the Niskanselka portion of the lake. So the Soviet battalion that detached from the 44th Rifle Division was forced to circle Finnish positions along a 200-kilometre route through the Lonka Palovara territory, and this was a safe route for the Russians, albeit a long march. Moscow also sent reinforcements from the 662nd Rifle Regiment to try and reach Sumasalmi from the north across the Hukonimi Peninsula. By Christmas Day, these different reinforcements had ground to a halt, the entire process had been piecemeal. Had they attacked the Finns simultaneously, military historians suggest that the 44th would have easily overcome their resistance. Word on the ground was starting to point towards a panic. The rations, particularly the commanders of the 9th Army who led the 44th Rifle Division, had no idea that the soldiers were starting to unravel. The Finnish raiders who'd begun to show up along the lines of support had targeted Russian support crews. In one raid involving two companies of Finnish troops on skis, more than 70 Red Army troops had been killed, and the Finns had made off with all their horses. Further east, towards the Russian border, a battalion from the Finnish 27th Infantry Regiment raided along the Rati Road, killing more than 100 Russians and blowing up a tank. These raiders on skis were starting to become mythical. They were so quiet and yet so deadly. The section of Red Army in this territory were Ukrainians, who were not the most motivated Soviet soldiers of the era, according to most accounts. These men began to desert in droves. The Russian commanders were exasperated by the rumours of impending Finnish attacks, 
but could do very little in the short term to improve morale. Finland Group headquarters was aware of the poor Russian morale and sent in their own set of reinforcements to the North Karelian battlefront. One regiment was dispatched to the Sumasalmi area and the second to task for Susi, gathering under Lieutenant Colonel Pavo Susitaival. The 6th Bicycle Battalion, led by Major Arvo Yavinen, had been sent to task force Silashvuo, set to assist in the ongoing battles around Sumasalmi. A major offensive was planned by Mannerheim starting on the 26th of December, where both task forces Susi and Silashvuo were to assault the strategic town. Susi Tailville was to take four battalions and launch his attack on the Kusamo Sumasalmi Road, then turn south to Palovara. The idea was to try and surround any Russians in this area. Silashvuo was to launch a raid straight into Sumasalmi from the east. Then the orders changed to reorientate the attack from the west because the Finns were worried that 44th Rifle Regiment reinforcements would cut them off if they were caught east of the town. Silashvuo was told to focus on the Hulkunimi Peninsula. Intelligence reports indicated that the Russians were arriving in force and the Finns' attack on Sumasalmi was delayed to the 26th of December when sections of the 6th Bicycle Battalion struck Russian logistics columns near Kilanmaki. Despite desperate attempts, the Bicycle Battalion failed to overrun the Russian positions. Things went better for the rest of the battalion, which hit a Red Army motorized column at the village of Kakamaki, causing chaos. The Russian troops abandoned their trucks and escaped, fled across the frozen landscape back into the Soviet Union. At the same time, four battalions commanded by Major Karl Kari pushed south towards the Hulkunyemi Peninsula after the artillery had opened up. They had to attack across the frozen lake, Oravishalka, and managed to make it all the way to the first homes on the peninsula but were stopped by the Russians' 81st Mountain Regiment. The Russians then withdrew from their forward positions and joined up with the rest of the 163rd Rifle Division on the 28th of December, then continued retreating through the night, heading northwards to Jantusranta. They managed this difficult maneuver without losses. The Finns could see them, but did not have the firepower to blast any of the tanks or other units withdrawing from the peninsula. There were still Russians in Sumasalmi, and these tried to break out on the 29th, scattering in all directions, but the soldiers were hunted down by the Finns' 6th Bicycle Battalion. 300 Russians died trying to escape. The Finns were now back in control of Sumasalmi, and for his efforts, Colonel Kalmar Shilasbur won the Finnish Cross of Liberty, which was pinned on him by Mannerheim. Diversionary attacks had been going on for some time with three infantry companies known as Detachment Pavola taking up positions along the eastern shores of Lake Kietanjavi. The PPP-6 Bicycle Regiment held the road junction at Kilanmaki against numerous counterattacks. Given the primitive nature of the terrain, it was inevitable that hundreds of Russian troops could make their escape through the snow, but Silashvu knew they had to probably escape via the Juntusranta road. He also did something the Finns had been unable to do through most of the war, and that is he called in two of the new Bristol Blenheim bombers freshly arrived from Britain. These dropped anti-personnel bombs on the retreating Russians, while ground-based units armed with machine guns sprayed the road. This took a dreadful toll on the Russians. By the end of the day, on the 29th of December, more than 5,000 Red Army soldiers had been mowed down. Their bodies littered the snow from the east side of Sumasalmi all the way to the north shore of Lake Pishparjavi. It was carnage. And shocking to relate, as these men were being hunted like rats, 
Not more than six miles away, the reinforcements sent by the Stavka of the 44th Division were hunkered down, seemingly immobile and unwilling to assist their countrymen. The Soviet 163rd was being shattered, but 44th Division Commander Vinogradov hesitated. When he eventually sent in some help on the evening of the 28th, it was too late. Vinogradov was typical of the Russian commanders of the day. He was a political deployee and thus almost useless as a tactical commander. The 44th was trained in mobile warfare, copying the German Blitzkrieg model, but here his men were cramped, forced along scarce roads, then picked off. What was ironic is that the Russians had skis, but their soldiers did not know how to use them. Worse still, the volunteers who did offer to ski out into the countryside to locate the Finns didn't come back. The 44th Division was now surrounded and stuck on the road to the north of Sumasalmi. Their planes were flying around, but none had managed to locate the fins on the ground below in the spruce and pine trees, and these planes could only fly during the day and in good weather. Bruno Gradov then drew up a plan to attempt a breakout. Then he never issued the orders. Historians to this day have found it difficult to explain why the Russian commander failed to act. Vinogradov had led the 44th Rifle Division when they had overrun Poland a few months before in September 1939, but that was easy compared to this show. Now he was surrounded, his men being picked off one by one. His force was bunched up on the Rati Road, which ran almost directly east to the border with Russia, and the intensity of the battles for both Sumasalmi and the Hilkunimi Peninsula increased. On the other side, Captain Makinen, who'd shut down the road, was a gifted commander, and his roadblock defenders were highly motivated and extremely well-equipped. If ever an enemy formation had been placed in a critically dangerous position, it was the Russian 44th. They resembled a 20-mile-long sausage, and the Finns' motty system was working a charm. They'd begun to chop up the sausage, and no slice was longer than two miles. Each was cut off from the other, the Finns moving towards their next victims through the ice roads that cut just south of the Rati Road. The Finns set up two large task forces to destroy the 44th, one under Major Kari, who I've mentioned, and the other under Lieutenant Colonel Farkanas. A third raiding detachment was placed near the village of Vanka, closer to Rati itself. They were going to go into battle on the 1st of January, 1940, and the Soviet 44th Division was going to face destruction. We'll return to this part of the battle next episode, when we deal with events that took place during the first and second week of January. Let's swing now and take a look at what was happening near the Arctic Sea far to the north. There, the Soviet 14th Army, led by Commander Valerian Frolov, was trying to seize Finland's only Arctic port, Betsamo. The Finnish High Command had split their forces here. One was under Major General Marty Valenius and called the Lapland Group. Valenius faced a grim situation, and Mannerheim had not expected his forces in the north to survive very long. He was going to be surprised, because the Lapland Group had managed to hold off the 14th Army mainly because Frolov had decided to use only one-third of his forces in the initial attack. That was the 52nd Rifle Division. Valenius is credited with starting the Finnish Motti system by chopping up that column that rode towards Pitsamo starting in mid-December. Three of his battalions had launched surprise attacks along the Russian 52nd Division lines and managed to split the Soviet 273rd Rifle Regiment. The Russians then went into full retreat here, leaving all the heavy weapons and trucks behind as they fled east. The victory halted the Red Army's advance in the north. 
The Soviets were after the important nickel ore mines in the north of Finland, and Helsinki had resigned itself to losing these as they sought to hold off the Russians along the Karelia Isthmus and around Sumasalmi. Moscow had thought this part of the campaign would be easy. They were planning to hold the mines and the northern road, then face the artillery towards the ocean in case the Finns or anyone else attacked them from there. A reduced force would be sent to continue the invasion to the south, but it was now minus 40 degrees centigrade and Valenius's raiding parties were sowing havoc along the Russian lines. Just south of this theatre, Finnish forces of the 17th Independent Battalion, led by Major Vilho Roinenen, were conducting a fighting retreat, and by the second week of December, Colonel Peter Shevchenko's 122nd Rifle Division had managed to take the strategic town of Sala. That was 50 kilometres inside Finland, so this assault was progressing well for the Russians compared with all the others. Shevchenko's task was to overrun Rovaniemi, the Lapland's capital, and then to strike at the port of Tornio on the Gulf of Botnia. He had also received reinforcements, the 273rd Mountain Rifle Regiment, commanded by Major Stephen Kolomitz, adding firepower and better trained troops to his 122nd Rifle Division, which was largely made up of reservists. A machine gun battalion and the 100th Independent Tank Battalion had also been sent to help Shevchenko, who promptly split his forces for the coming attack. The 273rd was sent northwards towards a small town called Kimajavi. They were supposed to cut off the Arctic road west of Pitsamo. The main force would push towards Kimajavi, taking a more direct route along a road that passed Markajavi village. The Finns were forced to scrape together all the men they could find and created Task Force Roininin. Major General Valenius understood the danger he faced from the Kimajavi region and issued orders that the Finnish 40th Infantry Regiment under Major Armas Peksalo should try and stop the 122nd pretty much at all costs. The Russians duly arrived at the Kitinin River Ferry by mid-December and established a bridgehead on the western bank. Perksalo was told to attack this bridgehead with two battalions. He was going to try and encircle his enemy. Captain Franz Lindbergh's battalion ran slap-bang into troops of the Russian 273rd who were moving forward from the bridgehead. A second battalion, under Captain Suranta, used the thick forested terrain to swing north, then southeast, to the rear of the Red Army Column. They were going to disrupt the Russian logistics, its supply trains and artillery batteries based further back. Kitinin Ferry was a problem for the Finns. The Russians had time to dig in and their initial assaults had caused the Finns to panic. They had no way of destroying the Red Army tanks. Then, in a moment of seizing defeat from the jaws of victory, so to speak, Shevchenko suddenly began to retreat as well because Captain Suranta's first major raid had so shocked the Russians. Saranta's men had advanced in the night to within a few hundred meters of the supply units, then launched brazen assaults. The effect was to galvanize the Red Army into retreat. The Soviets fled, leaving behind 16 vehicles and two of their vital anti-tank guns. And yet, this was an almost suicidal assault that cost Saranta dearly. He took casualties of 250 men compared with the Russians' 94. But... The tactical victory was undeniable. The 273rd Mountain Rifle advance had been stopped, and the Finns continued to hold the important towns west of the Kittenin Ferry. It's important to relate that in this theatre, the situation remained pretty much this way until the end of the war. The Russians hunkered down east of the ferry, alternatively retreating all the way to Saya village on the border. This is the top end of Finland, 
And if you glance at a map, you'll see the main road from Sala tracks west to Kimajavi, then turns southwest to Rabaniemi, then onwards to Tervola, and ends at the harbour town of Kimi, which is very close to the Swedish border. It was imperative for the Finns to stop the Russians from overrunning this region. Task Force Reunenen's four battalions initially had been forced to retreat here as Shevchenko's 122nd Rifle Division marched towards Kimijabi town. Commander Valenius had issued orders that the area around Lake Jotsijavi should be held, and this the Finns managed to achieve despite repeated attacks involving armour and artillery. Shevchenko then had dispatched the 420th Rifle Regiment along the road, while the 715th Rifle Regiment was trying to outflank the Finns using a cross-country route. The 420th took heavy casualties, despite being supported by the 100th Independent Tank Battalion. By the 20th of December, the Russians had been stopped and the Finns launched counter-attacks of their own around Lake Jotsjavi, killing a number of the 715th Rifle Regiment's senior officers, including the commander of one of its battalions. The casualty rate was climbing. At least 250 troops of the 715th were killed. The Finns lost 55 men. And yet, Shevchenko was determined to continue advancing towards Kimijavi. The 122nd Rifle Division had to achieve its aims. The Stavka in Moscow had stressed this. But each Russian attack was met with withering Finn fire. Eventually, on the 21st, Ninth Army Headquarters ordered the entire 122nd Division to halt and established defensive positions. They had to regroup and prepare for another push forward. That order never arrived. Instead, the Russians were actually pushed back eastwards by Finnish raids and assaults and would never achieve their objectives here. We'll return to what was going on in this sector in early January in Episode 7. By the end of December 1939, and into the first week of the new year, the Finns had succeeded in stalling the Red Army across all fronts. The freezing winter had rendered the Russians' weapons almost useless, and their supply routes were in danger. They had left behind considerable quantities of weapons as they fled from the Finns. The raids had chilled the blood of the Red Army troops, who were terrified of being caught by these men on skis who said very little and fought like demons. While this is all great for morale back in Helsinki, the reality was Finland suffered from a lack of material and a means of dealing with the tanks properly. The Molotov cocktails and taped grenades and the satchel charges had worked, but the Finns really needed their own proper anti-tank weapon. These had begun to arrive in the form of the Bofors quick-firing cannon. They just weren't enough. After Christmas and into the new year of 1940, the Soviet attacks slowed across all fronts and Mannerheim and the Finnish government considered their diplomatic position. First on the list was to open negotiations with Moscow, preferably through Swedish mediators. At the same time, Helsinki was trying to draw Sweden into the war against Russia. The other obvious option for the Finns was to lobby for Western intervention to speed up the arrival of international volunteer units and more weapons. This sounds remarkably modern. Ukraine is using similar techniques to buffer themselves against the Russian invasion, and as you know, the initial invasion of Ukraine experienced similar MOTI attacks by Ukrainians on quad bikes using drones. The Western governments back in early 1940 were not in any position to offer assistance to Finland. They were facing the might of the German Wehrmacht and an existential crisis all of their own. But individuals had taken it upon themselves to form foreign legions and men were arriving in Finland from Sweden, Denmark and Hungary. These men had to be trained and armed and despite having the best intentions, 
were not going to be useful immediately. The United States had also donated $2.5 million to the Finnish cause, but the catch was the money could only be used for agriculture and civilian aid, not for the war itself. A U.S. congressman quoted in the New York Times in 1939 said, Because of these limitations, Finland cannot buy anything but powder puff and panties. Finland asks for ammunition. We send them beans. When they ask for explosives, we send them tea. When they ask for artillery, we send them broomsticks. It was an invidious position. Finnish pride was holding back this Russian invasion, and their sudden assault had created an implacable enemy in Helsinki. Moscow has discovered another implacable enemy in Kiev almost a century later. The Russians convinced themselves that the Finns could be overcome by their superior military might, but they had been stymied. This is exactly the false narrative created before the Ukraine invasion of 24th February 2022, and like Finland, Moscow has blundered into a neighbouring state using the main roads and paid for it in blood and burnt out tanks and troop carriers. So, the picture in Finland in early 1940. Looking at the central theatre, around Lake Ladoga, Major General Voldemar Haglund's four army corps had halted the Red Army north of the lake on a line running through the villages of Kitila, Rukojavi and Shiskajavi. The Finnish 13th Division had been assigned the task of surrounding two enemy divisions here, Colonel Bondarev's 168th Rifle Division arraigned along the Pitkaranta Road and on the shores of Lake Ladoga, and Brigade Commander Kondrashev's 18th Rifle Division to their northeast. The Russians had a large number of artillery pieces in support, as well as the 34th Light Tank Brigade. The Finns were in for an intense scrap. What happened next is for next episode. Please head off to the website desmondlatham.blog for more details about this and my other shows, or you can head off to abwarpodcast.com. Both sites have contact lists, or you can send me a direct message on X at Deslatham. Until next, goodbye.